Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, and this week we're going to look at Kuvot relating to H, halachic methodology. Halachic methodology is something that emerges in Rav Moshe's Kuvot, obviously implicitly in every Kuva that he's doing, um, but somewhat uh, distinct from many, many other poskim, he often is explicit and self-reflective about his halachic methodology. We're going to begin by looking at a his introduction to his Igris Moshe, the introduction he wrote in the very first volume in Orachayim 1, where the entire introduction is really devoted to um, this question about, A, why he felt appropriate for him to paskin and to publish his psakim, and is really about his attitude towards what makes halacha, what his understanding of halachic methodology and of halachic truth is. In particular, as we'll see, the thing that really emerges is a concept of elu ve'elu, is a concept of a difference between halachic truth and not only between halachic truth and historical truth, but even halachic truth and what God believes up in heaven is the actual objective religious truth. And uh, because of this theory, which we will see, uh, that really is deeply connected to Rav Moshe's uh, general halachic creativity and the license that he feels that he has as a posseg to be innovative and creative. So let's take a look. He begins as following. He says, This book of mine, this uh, Sefer of Chuvot that I'm publishing, this is what, uh, the majority of it is what I've given as practical responses to people that have came and asked me my halachic opinion. Now, now, before he gets to the question of why do I feel it's appropriate to be publishing my She'elodu Chuvot, he says, why did I feel it was appropriate to actually give halachic responses to anybody who asked me a Shiloh? Well, why shouldn't you? He says, There were many gedolim who didn't pask in halacha lemaase, and why not? Because he said what they saw, they were afraid of, was the responsibility of psak, maybe you'll pask it incorrectly, and specifically a statement in the Gemara that talks about the dangers and the punishment that will come to a person for paskining if they're not at a level that they should be paskining. Mimama Rabbi Avo from the statement of Rabbi Avo in Sota, Rabim Chalilim Hipila, it says that they caused many carcasses to have slain. This refers to a Torah sage who is not yet at the level of paskining and he still paskins. So that is the idea of Hipila, like a nefe, like a uh, a stillbirth, somebody who is not yet ready and of the age to be doing this role, and that can cause terrible religious tragedy. You give wrong psakim to people. So because of the fear of that, of who am I to paskin, many people have chosen not to paskin. Now, what therefore, why did I therefore of Moshe feel it was appropriate? So he says, well, first of all, there's a counterbalancing statement there. The Avshamar Gam Vatsumim Kol Harugeha, numerous are all of those that she has murdered. Equally responsible and liable is somebody who's at the level of paskining and doesn't paskin. So you can't just say, who am I to paskin? I don't want to fall into the category of not being at the level of uh, being yet mature enough to paskin, because maybe you are mature and then you're doing an equal sin by not paskining. Nevertheless, says Rav Moshe, he says, even though that's true, that, you know, it's a catch-22, you can't just play it safe. If you're in the category of fit to paskin, you have to. But nevertheless, they were afraid that they would never get to the ultimate MS. 
And they felt, look, I might be fit to Paskin at a certain level, especially for this generation, but who's to say that I'm really going to get at the MS? And since I'm afraid I'm not going to get the MS, I can't take it upon myself, this responsibility. And then Rav Moshe says, now listen, it is true that this lat- the, the level of you at the status that you're able to Paskin is not determined by an objective reality based on like what was that level at the time of the Gemara. There's a famous Gemara, which is, Everything is judged based on this, on the generation you find yourself in. What is Higiel Lahora in the context of this generation? So that's not the question about Higiel Lahora. Higiel Lahora, people understood they were in that category, at least for their generation. But the concern was whether they felt they would get to the actual MS Lamito. Is this really the halacha as God intended it at Har Sinai? You know, as was originally intended in the Gemara, am I really getting to the MS? And that was the fear that held people off. So he says, even those that have gotten to the level of in these generations, maybe he's not getting to the ultimate truth, and because of that fear, they did not paskin. Then he says, certainly for people of lowly status like myself, here we get Rav Moshe's humility, which we've already seen multiple times. He says, I shouldn't have paskined, first of all, at all, even in private, because maybe I wouldn't get to the MS. And certainly to publish it, because when you publish, it's like you're paskining for the whole world. Now, this is a theme we're going to get to in a different episode about this idea of to what degree is the psak only for the individual and to what degree is it psak for an entire community. And here Rav Moshe acknowledges that as soon as you publish something, even if you gave a private psak, it stops being private and becomes public and becomes a psak for a community. We'll get back to that. But here the question is, why did I see it fit to paskin and certainly to, well, how did I see it fit to publish, maybe I'm not going to get to the MS as God has intended for this halacha to be. And here's where now Rav Moshe introduces this idea of a distinction between halachic truth and the truth as God knows it. Um, and also the concept of elu elu. Once we can distinguish between the sense of an absolute single truth as God knows it and distinguish that from the halachic truth, the halacha we're supposed to follow, we can even allow for the possibility of multiple and contradictory halachic truths. How is this? So here's what he says. Even, yes, you were, every generation, the people that were at the level of fit to Paskin for that generation had an obligation, even though that was a lower level than earlier generations. So if it was a lower level, maybe they weren't getting to the ultimate truth. And here's the key word, one of the key phrases, emet the truth as God knows it. What is the halacha of this question? Can you do borer in this way on Shabbos? There is one answer to that up in heaven. It's not that it's all sort of relative. God had intended something at Harsinai. The way halacha should have been interpreted should have been a certain way. There is one answer to this question up in heaven. And you might not be getting to it. Your psaq might be different. But Rav Moshe says, that's emes klape shmaya. Aval ha emes 
But truth, when it comes to an issue of how do we paskin and how do we actually live our lives, not some objective, theoretical, metaphysical truth, the classic phrase. And if you think about that classic story with Rabbi Eliezer and the Torah Shalachnai, what is that story saying when the Basko comes out, the heavenly voice comes out and says it's one way, and the rabbis get up and say, no, the majority ruled another way, Loba Shemayim, God, keep out of it. That is exactly saying that there's a truth as God knows it, but that might not be the truth as the halacha as we follow it down here on planet Earth. The truth that we're supposed to follow, the halachic truth we're supposed to follow, is the best that we, that the posek has been able to do to understand it according to the best of his understanding. That has been given authority and the halachic weight that dictates how we're supposed to live, even if it's not the original intent of the text. Sort of like the debates that happen, you know, nowadays around uh, the Supreme Court and the Constitution, how much are you... Is the Supreme Court supposed to play an interpretive role? How much are they supposed to get to the original meaning of the Constitution? Is the ruling of the Supreme Court any less what is constitutional law because it doesn't correspond to what the founding fathers had originally intended? And Rav Moshe is saying in the context of the Torah, the principle of Loba Shemayim and the empowerment of Chazal to interpret and apply halacha means that the binding halacha for us is according to the way they interpret it, not what the original intent was, not what God understands that truth to be. That's Loba Shemaimhi. And for those who are interested, Ramban on the Torah, on the Pasuk of, of Lo Tasur Yaminus Mold, not to sway to the left or the right, says exactly this point. It's fascinating that Rav Moshe does not quote the Ramban, but the Ramban says, Kifi, you know, Kinira Lehem Nasan Lanu Torah. God gave us the Torah. God wants the halacha to be followed according to the way it would be interpreted by Chazal and by the poskim, not according to what some the question of what the original intent might have been. Obviously, questions are going to arise here, which is then how do you, what makes for a legitimate psaq? Why can't you just read whatever you want into it? And then that becomes the halacha. We'll see that Rav Moshe will get to that point. But then he says like this, it is, the halacha is as it appears to the sage, after he has given it proper, you know, rigorous approach to go into the Gemara and the Poskim, to the best of his ability, with a seriousness of purpose, and fear of God. And it seems that this is the truth of what the halacha should be. If that's the process he engaged in, who hamet then that is the halachic truth, whether or not it is the original meaning of the text, whether or not it corresponds to some absolute metaphysical truth. You know, whatever the Basco says, that doesn't matter. This is the halachic truth. And he is obligated to rule this way, even if it's clear, as far as God is concerned, that this is not what the original meaning was. These are the words of the living God. What do you mean the words of the living God? It isn't what God originally intended. It isn't some objective meaning of the text. Nevertheless, since it seems to him what he's seen is correct, it's a legitimate reading derived from that text, and it was not contradicted by another thing, that becomes part of the words of the living God. That is a meaning that emerges from that text when approached with integrity and piety and seriousness of purpose. So I think that Rav Moshe, here without answering this question of, well, if the text means whatever Chazal say it means, you know, then what makes something a legitimate halachic approach as opposed to a non-legitimate one? We'll just say whatever you want to say. He begins to address that by talking about what the process has to look like. Not only does it have to account for all of the sources, but he emphasizes the importance of 
um, you know, Yirame Hashem Yitzbarach, Kovet Rosh, Kemir Lohu Hapsak, which all to me speaks about a sense of you do not think that you can impose your meaning on the text. You have to submit to the authority of the text. You are trying to honestly understand the depth of what the Torah, of what the Halach, of what the Gemara means. You're doing it with a sense of piety, of a year end, not bringing your own agenda into it. If the process is a proper one, then any then the conclusion that a post comes out with will per, will by definition be a legitimate read and a legitimate halacha, and that at this stage then the question of what makes for a legitimate halacha is not a question of the end result, but it's a question of process, which Rav Moshe has begun to define what those parameters are, and very clearly excluding people that are coming to this text with a particular agenda to impose their meaning on the text, but without fully explicating its parameters. In a another tshuva, we're going to see another way in where Rav Moshe tries to set limits on who can create legitimate meaning, um, you know, and who is a legitimate posseg once you've opened up this idea of a difference between halachic truth and objective truth. Um, now, Rav Moshe continues, and he says, um, he brings a proof to this from Gemara by Rabbi Eliezer, where he had a certain psaq about uh, preparing the instruments for Brit Milah on Shabbat, which the Chachamim said was Chilul Shabbat. Rabbi Eliezer said you were allowed to do it, and the Gemara says that he and his whole town was, re- was rewarded. So Rav says, how could they be rewarded? What they were doing was Chilul Shabbat, based on the way we pass in the Halacha. And it says, no, it doesn't matter, because since once we've introduced this idea of a difference between objective truth and halachic truth, there could also be multiple and contradictory halachic truths, and for his town, this was their halachic truth, and for his town, they weren't being mechal Shabbos. This was the kiyum and shmir Shabbos to prepare for the brit milah this way. So bringing evidence that so there is not just one such thing as a halachic truth. And he says, Avsha emes aliba didina nifsak shalok rebeliezer, so even though the objective halacha was with, that they were doing was Chilul Shabbat, or at least the majority halacha, not objective, was that way, it based on how he paskined, and that is the halacha, and that was the halacha that was binding for his place. And then he goes on to say, as long as there's not a unanimous psak, like one way, this now allows for multiple halachic truths. Different places can follow different psakim. And that's why he says there's also a difference between Sephardim and Ashkenazim. What? Does Sephardim think Ashkenazim are sinning and Ashkenazim think Sephardim are sinning? No. This is the reality we live in, which is decentralized halachic authority. Once there's not one objective truth, and it, then there's also could be multiple halachic truths and not just a single one. So, and that allows for a multiplicity of practice, decentralized authority. As long as there's not a unanimous psak, every place is a, every place can go by its rav, every person can go by his or her rav. And this really speaks very profoundly to the phenomenon we know about how halacha has been paskin and practiced for like 1,500 years or more, and speaks very deeply to this sense of a recognition of multiple legitimate halachic approaches all operating within a certain range. It's interesting that Rav Moshe also could have referred to another Gemara that to me speaks very much about this, which is a Gemara in Chulin on Daft Tzaritet, a whole discussion about whether a gita nashe, if somebody cooks with the gita nashe, does that give off taste into the meat and does the meat become treif? And the Gemara tells a story that somebody came to ask a shaila that this happened to them and he was knocking at the door and nobody was answering and the rabbi said, uh, 
Oh, what are you here to, to ask about? About whether, you know, this Gidan Hashem gives off taste? He says, don't ask me, because I paskin l'chumra on this. I paskin stringently. You should go ask Rabbi so-and-so, they paskin leniently. Now, if we thought there was just one halachic truth, if I believe that it's forbidden, how can I tell you to go ask another rabbi who says that it's permissible? You know, I'm actually making you sin. I'm having you follow something, to do something that I think would be a transgression. So that Gemara speaks profoundly of the recognition that were you to ask me, I'd have to paskin the halach as I see it. But I don't believe that there's only one halachic possibility here. I recognize that there are multiple ones, and therefore ask a rabbi who will give you an answer that is more appropriate. Separate questions about shopping for coolest and so on, but this actually does come up in something that you know I discuss with my students as well and with the rabbis in the field that you might not always feel that you're able to take the responsibility of a certain psaq and the appropriateness of at certain times of referring somebody on, even if the person you're referring to them will give a ruling that you actually don't uh, agree with or is not the ruling that you would give. But that's the idea of recognizing and appreciating the possibility of multiple halachic truths once there is not just one objective halachic truth. Now, Rav Moshe continues and ends this beautiful articulation, connecting it to the famous Gemara of Moshe Rabbeinu going up to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah and seeing that God was putting the crowns on the letters. And God, Moshe says to God, Who's holding you back? And God says, well, I'm doing this because there's going to be a great rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, who's going to be able to make great interpretations out of these crowns. And, you know, the story is that Moshe goes down and sees him and sits in the base medrash and doesn't understand a thing that Rabbi Akiva is talking about. And then Rabbi Akiva finally says, Lo, uh, you know, where did you get this from? And Rabbi Akiva says, oh, it's Allah Moshe Misina. So that is a great story, and there's a lot to say about that. And, of course, one of the things that seems to emerge is Chazal's awareness of how halacha develops over time, over multiple processes of interpretation and so on, to the point that Moshe might not be able to recognize something that ultimately went back to the Torah that he received, but ultimately it's sort of now part of Halach Moshe Misinai. Rav Moshe does not focus on that aspect of it, but on the idea of the crowns and the focus on what does it mean that this idea that there are crowns on letters. Um, and he says the following. He also says, what's this language of Mima Akev? Who's holding you back? Uh, which is a funny language. What Moshe should be saying is what's making you put on the crowns. Normally that's read as who's holding you back to give the Torah. Why is it taking so long, God? Come on, we're waiting for the Torah. What, wait, you just have to put on the crowns? Like, let's get going. But anyway, here's what Rav Moshe says. He says, Based on what I explained, the frame, the language of crowns is very appropriate. God made the words into the king. Meaning, who has the ultimate authority? Where does the ultimate meaning and authority of, the, of what the Torah means reside? Does it reside in God and what God intended? And Rabbi Moshe is saying, no. You know who's the king here? The words, the letters are the king. They are the ones that hold the ultimate authority. The text is what is sort of dominates. You know, the text is sovereign in terms of meaning. It's a very postmodern approach. You know, it's not about the authorial intent. It's about what the text taken on its own terms means. And that's what Rav Moshe says. The text is the king, um, not God here. The text is the king. The sage has to get to the meaning the best that they understand the words of the Torah to the best of their understanding. Even if it's not objectively what the text originally meant, the low explicitly this isn't what God originally intended. Forget authorial intent. Why? The Torah is given to us 
but again, it's like weird king, but if we're king, then we get to say whatever it means. So it's not God isn't king and we're not king, the text is king. And we do the best we can to understand what the text means and to search for the truth of the meaning of the text. And then that ultimately, if it's a possible meaning of the text, then that is what is the halachic meaning, even if it is not the original tent. That is the meaning of the word here of the ketarim of the crown. Sometimes the Gemara says, you know, the Torah says X. That's the way we talk in our language. We don't say, you know, when the Rambam in Parish Mishnayas quotes a pasuk, he says, God says X, <laughs> which is a little jarring, because normally it's not the way we talk. Normally the way we talk is the Torah says X, and Rav Moshe says, yes, the Torah is saying it, because ultimately, if that's a meaning of the words, then that's what the Torah as a text is saying, a possible meaning of the words, and it's not a question of what God intended, of authorial intent. It's a question of the meaning of the text. And then then Rav Moshe says that's the meaning of mima akev. It's not who's holding you back from giving the Torah. The mima akev shetichtov ofen shelo yeh efshel lefarish rak derechechad kechavanasecha. What's what's holding you back from making the text more explicit? Just tell us exactly what you mean, and we won't need chazal, and we won't need have any debates, and uh, everything will be a hundred percent explicitly clear. The lamanasata koch meluchalot yod. Why did you make the letters and the words sovereign? Why didn't you God make your intent clear? And the answer is. This is God the way God wanted it, to empower Rabbi Akiva, the Chachamim, the sages of any generations, and therefore there will be no limit to the possible meanings of the Torah, and God wants exactly this. This is Torah Shabbat our partnering with God in the meaning of the Torah, and that it's not all about the original meaning. God gives us the text. We have to do our best to understand the true meaning of that text with knowing Shas and Poskim and from with piety and covered Rosh. And ultimately, then that determines what the halacha is, which means that ultimately, if we do the right process right, we can't be wrong. Then the bottom line halacha will be a legitimate halacha conclusion regardless of some objective standard. And it also means that there could be multiple halacha truths and we can respect different communities and different psakim, even if they're not the ones that we agree with. And therefore, Rav Moshe concludes, on this basis, knowing that if I did the process right, whatever I would say would be, by definition, proper halacha. I found myself proper for me to paskin. Even since I put in all of the effort and did the process fully with full rigor and integrity. And then he goes on to say, and this is a point we'll get back to, that to a certain degree, I'm not poskening. I'm just sharing my halachic reasons. I explain my reasoning. But often I was just sort of teaching. I wasn't poskening. And the questioner, they can decide for themselves and decide for themselves. Now, that seems a little weird. Like, people want a psak, and he really did poskin for people. Part of this is appreciating that often he's responding not to the questioner, but to a rabbinic colleague. And we will see this question about sharing the psak between colleagues, giving them the reasoning, letting them make the ultimate decision of poskening, where Moshe clearly understood the importance of poskening to the actual layperson who's asking, and they want a psak. They're not in a position decide for themselves. But this idea of spelling out the reasoning is something that we're going to get back to and is particularly important for Moshe when he chooses to publish it. To what degree is he paskining for the world or is he just sharing his reasoning and his thinking with the world? And therefore he says, I also understood that there's a responsibility when you ask their shayla that you have to give a response. You don't have the choice not to paskin. Mitzvah shalom, imu shayla wrote, that if a person is of that level, he has an obligation to respond. 
And therefore he says, That's why I responded, because I knew that ultimately if I did the process right, it would be legitimate halacha, that I had an obligation to respond. If God helped me to clarify and I did it the right process, then the result by definition would be correct. And then he ends by saying, that's why I felt it was proper to publish them. Why do you publish them? You're poskening for the whole world. Isn't that terribly arrogant? You know, what allows you to do that? And again, he says, no, I'm only clarifying. I'm laying out the reasoning. I'm not poskening for the world. I'm poskening, and we're going to come back to this theme. I'm poskening for the person in front of me, and I'm sharing my reasoning with the rest of the world. And the rest of the world should not take my published to vote as a psaac for the world, but as a as laying out my thinking. And if other rabbinim want to paskin in a similar way, then I'm helping them come to the psaac they want to give. But I'm certainly not paskining for everybody else, and that's a theme that we're going to return to. I ask anybody who reads my books, first, don't just say, oh, Ramosha said it, this is the halacha. No. Look into my reasonings. Then if you, the rabbi who's reading my Chuvot, you didn't think lay people are reading the Chuvot, follow my reasoning. If it convinces you, you should pass in similarly. And that's why I thought that it was proper to lay it all out. Um, and um, and this is my and and this reserve Moshe says is why I feel that uh, you know I'm serving Kla Yisrael by giving these answers and by publishing these Chuvot, A, because I don't have to be afraid that they're wrong. If I follow the process by definition, it's halacha. There could be other halachas. There could be multiple halachas, but this is a legitimate halachic position if the process was correct. And I'm sharing my thinking with others and they can decide for themselves how they will choose to paskin. So in ending this introduction, what's worth pointing out is in addition to the fact that I think that his understanding of how halacha operates and where halachic authority resides, this sort of decentralized, multiple truth, elu elu approach, which is it doesn't have to correspond to historical truth or to original intent and very postmodern dimensions to that as well, how the text is ultimately what is sovereign. A is, I think, very resonant with our understanding of how halacha operates. It can be deeply threatening for some because it opens up the possibility of, oh, so halacha can be whatever you want it to be. If there's a rabbinic will, there's a halachic way, and so on. And Moshe says, well, the focus there has to be on process. Yes, not everything is legitimate, but the focus on process, not on end result. But the other reason that it's really important is because once you say this, it also opens up the opportunity to really be a mechadesh, to really be an innovator, to be creative, and to say, I'm coming up with a new idea, and I feel that I have the license and the freedom to bring my own voice, not just to submit to what all the other earlier authorities go and go by the majority of earlier authorities, a certain approach in halacha, which is just sort of tabulating earlier authorities and being concerned and being machmir and so on. No, once, if you're following the right process, what you say, you are creating halacha, you are defining a halachic option amongst a range of halachic options, then it gives you much more license to bring your own voice and to be creative and to have courage in terms of certain halachic psakim, which is really what we have been seeing and will continue to see, and which, which is also so profound about Rav Moshe and really why he was the authoritative posseg for all of American Jewry, and uh, really why we've chosen to do his true vote, because of the degree of creativeness and boldness in his psakim that really emerges from both a deep humility and a deep sense of what the halachic process is that really recognizes the authority of every posseg who does the process with integrity and with your shamayim. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.